Everybody, welcome back. This is Inside Fitness Radio Presents Total Fitness Podcast. My name is Matthew. I'm Walter. And today we are very happy to have a very special guest uh, with us. Uh, Scott Carney is, is joining us. Um, why is he joining us? Well, I read one of his books and it got me really turned on. I don't know how many of you have, have listened to us progressively, but I spent all last winter in my underwear on my back porch every morning in the snow, rolling in the snow. Yeah, it was really great uh, and horrible at the same time. Um, and uh, that led me to research and, and I ended up finding and reading Scott's book about his adventures uh, with Wim Hof and climbing Kilimanjaro. Wait, so let me get this straight. You were okay. sitting on your in your back porch on your underwear without having read my book. You were just like the underwear back porch guy. I know I'd sort of heard about Wim. I'd heard okay. about Wim. Uh, right. Since then, I've seen his show and all that stuff. But I'd heard about him and I thought, this is cool. I'm going to see how this works because I like to push myself past certain barriers always. So, um, so anyway, so that's why I read your book. And that's why I thought I've got to talk to this man, because it's not just about the underwear and the cold. It's Mm. about the underwater training. It's about all the other ways that we can push ourselves and develop ourselves. And, And you seem to be an expert on that. You could say I that. Mean, I mean, I do some cool what things. You just did for the last six days, right? <laughs> um, so, so I'd like to just introduce Scott now. Scott, if you'd like to tell us a little bit about yourselves, expand on what I've said. Sure. Uh, so I'm Scott Carney, investigative journalist, uh, anthropologist, and New York Times bestselling author. And I know that sounds like a really big thing, but basically I'm a guy who likes to, to dive into like one research project for one year at a time and go as deep as I can. Um, oftentimes looking at like the places where humanity gets uncomfortable, uh, like where things are hard, where, where, where things are stressful, where things are, where, where things can change. Uh, and Part of that is like this biohacking stuff, right? With my book, What Doesn't Kill Us and The Wedge, I'm really talking about how you, how by putting yourself in a physical stress um, will change the way your body and your mind work. Um, but other books I've done, I've, I've worked in war zones, I've interviewed mobsters, uh, I've, you know, uh, done a lot of like stupid, dangerous stuff, <laughs> and yet somehow come out the other side. And I think in one piece. And, uh, and, you know, I'm just really psyched to be able to, um, to talk with you guys. Uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that's a lot to take in that you've gone from monsters to war zones to, again, what mm-hmm. we uh, kind of wanted to focus on today. But let's just get the overall picture. What made you want to jump into this lifestyle? Why did you want to push past your limits? Why did you want to do all this investigative journalism and kind of mm-hmm. see what, you know, these things are about? Yeah, well, for me, the, the point of life is not to amass the most wealth and die comfortably in a bed someday, right? For me, the point of life is to have experiences that are meaningful, at least to me, like, and and it's really cool that so many people read my books, right? But to me, I want to be able to go out there and try to learn as much as I can about the world, realizing that I'll never know it all, like it's Mm -hmm. never going to happen. And, and, and to see myself in stressful situations and to see other people in stressful situations is just a way to 
I mean, I guess B, it's been a lifestyle. You know, in my 20s, I was a little bit more on the, you know, sort of dark side of things. I wrote a book about organ trafficking where I was like six years wandering around the world looking at people buy and sell organs and bones and, and things like that. I did a book on the dark side of meditation for where people like intensively meditated and got really deep into their minds and how that did not always turn out well, uh, uh, you know, and documenting many, many deaths uh, along that route. And then I found this... Um, this dude, like I, I like this was in 2010. I saw this uh, article, maybe it was like an AMA or something on on Reddit about this guy named Wim Hof, who was this guy who could sit basically naked on an iceberg and says he could control his immune system, control his body temperature. And I had just spent like years looking at people dying doing meditation, and I was like, this guy's going to get people killed. So, uh, long story short. Uh, I got a I got a, a commission to go debunk him from Playboy, and I went out there totally ready to be like this guy's a charlatan guru, but it didn't work. I learned his method. I ended up sitting in my underwear on banks of rivers, melting the snow around me with my body, climbing up mountains, and again my under. I do a lot of stuff in my underwear, um, <laughs> uh, but I was shirtless in Playboy, which was pretty cool because yeah. usually they they go for women. Um, and then uh, and then I ended up. Uh, writing the book, What Doesn't Kill Us, which was like, super popular and was sort of helped establish Wim as this credible dude. And uh, and climbed up in that book, I ended up climbing up Mount Kilimanjaro, uh, where, you know, again, I think I was in a bathing suit, not my underwear at that time. So I'd upgraded, but I was in my bathing suit. It was negative 30 degrees outside and I could handle it. Like I wasn't super comfortable, but I could handle it. And this led me to thinking about, you know, not only stressful events, sort of like organ trafficking, stressful events. I wrote a book on like mobsters, stressful events, that sort of thing. But also like how that physical stress, that sensation of physical stress um, connects you to the environment. And that connection changes the way you uh, relate to the outside world, which also changes what's going on inside your body. And I, and I learned that by changing and, and, and re-signifying what stress actually is, um, you gain a ton of resilience. Uh, and, and it's not only good for like doing hard things, because in some ways, who gives a fuck that I could climb on Mount Kilimanjaro in a bathing suit or I could hold my breath for a long period of time? Like that's irrelevant. But it's really great for anxiety. It's really great for autoimmune illnesses. It's just really great for just overall health and resilience. And that has been the, the biggest and most important takeaway from my works is that there is this mind-body connection that gets sharpened by doing hard experiences. Right. I know Walter has a million questions, so I want to jump in before, uh, before he takes them all away. But when you're in those situations, getting ready to, whether it be, again, the organ trafficking, the monsters, going to see WIM, what is that mindset? Do you, do you have an open mindset? Cause again, you kind of went, uh, you got that commission from playboy. You went in with the mindset of I'm going to disprove this guy. Yep. Do you typically have a certain, I guess you could say again, it's journalism. So do you have a certain angle that you're trying to take to actually go into an experience or do you try to go into it with an open mind and see what happens and see how you as a journalist or even just as a yeah. person can handle it? 
So I have an idea of what I'm going to find whenever I do a story. You cannot be a journalist and not have an idea of what you're going to find. No editor wants to hear the pitch. Hey, I want to go try the cool stuff and see what happens. Like that that doesn't fly at any magazine. Uh, so I, I, I always have an idea of what I'm going to find, but I'm open to change as I go there. And sometimes editors don't want that. Sometimes you can be open to change and you deliver a story that's totally not what they expect. And they're like, fuck you, cancel. Um, but. I've been lucky that that doesn't happen too much. Um, with, with all of them, I want to relate to my sources. I want to understand really where they're coming from because I have this central belief that every person in the world thinks that they're a good person. It doesn't matter who they are. You know, you can be a serial killer. You could be Hitler. You could be, you know, I don't care who, how bad you want to go. I think all of those people have at least an internal logic for why they're a good person. And I want to understand that when I go to meet, go, when I go to meet them, not to let them off the hook, no to, but to understand that in my mind so that I can relate to them and write a more empathetic story uh, about that, that thing. So when I met Wim, I knew I could sit outside and just sort of watch people do, go through this, but the story wouldn't have been as meaningful unless I tried it too. And, and I'm always open to new experiences when I'm reporting because I think it just makes things better. Um, and uh, it's very rare for me to say, I'm not gonna do something. The only time I can remember like really turning down an assignment uh, or uh, like an opportunity was when uh, I was in central India working with militants uh, when the, and they were telling me that I'd have to go through like a minefield to see the, the location. I was like, you know what? I can handle gunshots. I can handle some like traffic accidents and exertion, but I'm really, really not going to be okay with landmines. There's my limit. Landmines. Yeah. There's my limit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Most people it's what's the limit. It's, you know, jumping into a pool and freezing cold water, which obviously you did, but no, for you, it's stepping on a landmine. I mean, that's, that's pretty sane. I'll, I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, not a stress that I can. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh yeah. It's not a stress that I can adapt to. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I, I'm very like, I guess the reason why I bring that up is because I do things that are perceived of as dangerous from the outside, but they're right. always taken with the understanding that there should be ways to correct a problem when it's happening, right? right? So jumping into ice water might be painful, right? It might be difficult, but you're not gonna die unless you're like trying to hold your breath under ice, then you will die. But if you're just jumping into ice water is not that bad. Like climbing up with your shirt off it, up a mountain is not that bad, especially if you've got a coat in your backpack. Like, like it's important to try these things and then have a plan B for when things go wrong and realize that in most cases you have uh, there's still actions you can take if you plan plan out correctly. There's still actions you can take to rectify uh, something if you've made a mistake. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's going to be uh, you know any documentarian is going to be looking for the truth of, of mm -hmm. the matter that they're talking about. You have to choose the topic you're right. But mm -hmm. I mean, one of the things that I appreciated about about your book was that Wim was not given as this wonderful godlike character. You saw the dark side. You saw the, the yeah. madness, if you will, uh, behind him as well uh, to get a truer story of, of who he is. But it was also all those other stories. It was the under, I was really taken by the underwater training, mm -hmm. uh, you know, as, as a methodology as well. Sure. That could be used. Um, so the underwater training for people who you know, maybe I haven't read the book. Um, there, there were two sets of this. One was with this amazing breathwork teacher um, named Brian McKenzie uh, mm -hmm. and the other with the big wave surfer, uh, Laird Hamilton. And both of them do this 
you know, we're working on that time, something called extreme pool trainer XPT, uh, which was where you would lift weights underwater or swim underwater for long periods of time. You're trying to stress your limits, but also keeping in mind that you don't want to pass out underwater um, because passing out underwater is fatal. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, and seven people have died by mixing the Wim Hof breathing method with and thinking that it was like free diving. And, you know, there's something called shallow water blackout that happens with, particularly with the Wim Hof type breathing, which is a hyperventilation based breathing. Yeah. Uh, and so that's super dangerous. And, uh, but with, with what they're doing, they're, they're trying to work on your parasympathetic side, which is your rest and digest um, uh, modality, you know, mm-hmm. the rest and digest side of your body and uh, of your nervous system. And uh, what they would do is they would get you into a parasympathetic state and then ha- have you start lifting weights underwater. Uh, and and uh, you can, you, you sort of mix and match those, the, you know, you're, what, you're, what you're trying to do in both What Doesn't Kill Us in my book, The Wedge, is you're trying to find ways to match the parasympathetic side, which is your, your rest and digest, with your sympathetic side, which is your fight or flight. And you're trying to put yourself in situations where your body automatically wants to go one direction, and then you force it into the other direction. So lifting weights underwater, lifting weights is like sort of this aggressive, um, sympathetic fight or flight stuff. You're using adrenaline, you're just getting your muscles. It's like grit, right? Mm. Um, And then, but if you put yourself underwater, the other goal is to, you know, you trigger your dive reflex, which, which lets you hold your breath longer, slows your heart rate. And, you know, you also don't want to breathe underwater. You want to relax so you can gain more time. So it's, so if, when you pair these two experiences, you really train both sides of your nervous system at once. Um, Wim Hof method is the same. You jump into cold water, cold water automatically makes you want to go into fight or flight. And then you tell yourself, no, I'm going to relax in this. And by relaxing, I gain endurance. Uh, And you find that, you know, I've the longest ice bath I've done is like 30 minutes at about 32 degrees, 33 degrees um, Fahrenheit. In Celsius, that's much easier. That's zero degrees. Uh, (laughs) It's the only conversion I'm good at as an American. Uh, and, um, and, And, you know, you can also do this in heat, you know, Heat makes you want to to drive your system into that parasympathetic, that sort of rest state. Mm-hmm. And then you work out in the heat and you drive yourself up. Hot yoga is a great example of this. I didn't actually go to in my book, but it's like you're doing these yoga poses, you're being aggressive, and yet your body's being told to relax. So by pairing those external stimulus with internal stimulus, you're telling your body that it can do things that it's not anticipating that it could do, yeah, that it should do. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing with that too is, I, I kind of want to touch back um, a little bit because you did say, again, not necessarily hard to jump into an ice bath. It's not necessarily hard to climb a mountain, whatever it might be. But at the end of the day, getting to that point, is that was that something big you had to overcome to actually be able to get to that point? Or is it, again, you you just understood what you were doing. You understood the assignment, I guess you could call it. And you just went into it with that mindset. And if so, if that was the mindset you went into it with, how did you get yourself to that position to be able to, again, fight that, that fight or flight plus relax or vice versa? Well, I mean, 
So it's a pretty open-ended question and it's easier for me to go into like a specific example. Mm -hmm. um, let's just talk about an ice bath because we can all imagine what an ice bath is like and it's hard for me to truly put you on the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. We've all been cold before, right? Yeah. And the hardest part of an ice bath is looking at an ice bath. You're not in it. You're, you're just looking at the ice bath and you see the ice cubes. Maybe you see a temperature that says it's super cold and you look at it and you're like, fucking hell no. I do not want to go in the ice bath. Maybe that's good for that Scott dude or that Wim dude. But for me, I'm especially bad with cold. And like, honestly, that is the universal response. Everyone feels that. I feel that when I look at an ice bath still, and I've been doing this for like 12 years. Uh, and, and it's, but that anticipation is actually really important because that's your anxiety reflex. That's your brain saying, here's what the future is gonna be like. And I'm gonna ramp it up to like 10 and say, this is going to be terrible. And I'm gonna prep you to say that this is going to be terrible so that when you get in, it's gonna be even worse because it's gonna confirm all of that terribleness in your mind. And even if I've done, and I've done probably a thousand ice baths, I mean, a lot of ice baths, even when I look up at a mountain and I like, I've climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, that's 18,000 feet. Um, um, and it's super cold, even if I want to look at like a 14,000 foot peak here and a much, you know, more, you know, nice environment. I'm like, I don't want to take my shirt off. That's crazy. So that anticipation is your, is sort of your brain's protective instincts. And what we're telling your brain is that, no, you can do it. And, and you override that fear and fear is not necessarily bad in all cases, but it's, it's usually very conservative. And so then you get in the ice bath and then this is actually pretty hard, right? Because your body automatically responds to the stimulus coming from the outside and goes into survival mode. That sensation in ice water is literally death because your body goes into a thing where it shunts the blood to the core. It's called vasoconstriction. It kicks up heating responses. And if you're not super used to it, um, it can be overwhelming. Your breath will go out of control. You'll breathe like this. <laughs> And then you'll think to yourself, get the fuck out of this ice tub. And everyone has that response. And your goal in getting to an ice bath is say, it's okay, I can relax. And you get your breathing under control and there's a couple of techniques to do it. But the easiest one is just take a big deep breath in and then slowly exhale like that. Um, and that's just like stops that hyperventilating thing from happening. And there, boom, you are now mind over matter. Like you may have not realized this, this may have not sounded all that, that strange, but you have literally changed an automatic process in your body and you flipped it to conscious control. And 10 seconds after that, the ice bath may not be comfortable, but you can say that's just sensation on my skin because I didn't die. I went into fight or flight and I didn't die. And actually I can do this for longer. And, and you stay there, you know, maybe a minute, maybe three minutes, maybe 30 minutes, I don't know, how, wherever your, 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 your point is where you, you get out. Oh, um, but sorry to rewind just a second. Before you get to those long edges, um, you, the third thing that happens in an ice bath is a different part of your brain kicks in and it says, you've done enough. Mm -hmm. Don't worry. You did it. You relaxed. You're good. You can get out now. 
you also want to flip over past that one. You want to get, get over that last wave because that's your brain just playing like um, what, what reverse psychology on you. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, what I say is that people should stay in over a minute because I think that all of the, that turbulence is over um, by a minute. And then you stay in there as long as seems reasonable, you get out. And then um, usually you feel incredibly warm after you get out of an ice bath because your body has ramped up all those heat reflexes and you get out and you feel alive you feel just clean in a way that's not about your skin but it's about your soul and and it feels great and if you stayed in too long you might get after drop and shiver for a while so so the you know the, the long-term practice is understanding how long you can stay in without getting after drop after drop is a little miserable um because that happens when um, you vasoconstricted which means all the blood shunts to your core your extremities got colder Mm -hmm. And now warm blood recirculates through the extremities and it gets colder because it's circulating through a cold area. And then that comes back to your core and you start like shivering uncontrollably. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that whole process is like a learning thing about your body and you're learning how your body adapts and changes in the environment. Yeah. I've had that happen. Yeah, that, that's a very interesting explanation because I, I remember my mother uh, towards the end of her life had to have uh... chemo. Blood being cleansed is called oh, dialysis. Dialysis. Thank you. Um, and and it was that sensation of the cold blood running back into her body because it has to be chilled for the right. process. Oh, okay. Um, that drove her crazy. It wasn't sitting and having a needle in her arm or anything like that. Right. But she would shiver uncontrollably for an hour while the oh, blood wow. was being cleansed. Um, so. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do want to say thank you for one other thing, Don. That is that uh, throughout the book, you approach these things and you show your humanity by talking about, am I crazy? Why mm -hmm. am I doing this? Mm -hmm. Should I be doing this? And you question yourself, but you go ahead anyway. And to me, that's something that I try to face on a regular basis. Right. The, why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. I must, I have to do this. I have to prove this thing to myself that I can do this and see. So I want to thank you for that as well. To go off, sorry, and just to go off of that point, where do you, where do you draw the line? Because when you are in that mindset of, like you said, there, there is that, maybe it's 30 seconds in, maybe it's a minute in, maybe, again, maybe you're doing a marathon and you're halfway through, or maybe there's two kilometers left, whatever it might be. When does it get to the point where you draw the line and say, you know what, this is enough. I've pushed myself enough. I can, I can pull back. I can stop. Where does that tend to happen? And again, for yourself, but also what you've experienced through, you know, all this, uh, uh, every project that you've done in the past as well. So, you know, it's funny I might've answered this a little differently, like four days ago. Um, but, but I think that, I'm a big fan of lightly held beliefs. Okay. I'm, I'm a big fan of like trying to figure out how the world works and understand it just enough to be let, to realize that you're probably wrong. Right. And we're all probably wrong about most things. And, and, and you do something by, by also checking it over and over again, you know, and, you know, when I went climbed up Mount Kilimanjaro, I, we actually didn't make it to the true summit. We made it to Gilman's point, which was like a hundred feet so 33 meters down from uh, the true summit. And, you know, honestly, it wouldn't have been that hard physically to make it to the summit, but we also realized that we were done. We were, 
done. And it might have just raised the danger level just enough that we weren't comfortable with it. So we turned around at still a very incredible feat, but we don't get to like mark the book to be like, yes, we actually could have seen, you know, the true, true summit. Um, mm -hmm. And and I think it's important just to say, look, we all have limits in the, in the battle of you versus nature. Um, it's going to happen. And but it really only happens after you've already tested your initial limits. Right. It's right. after you get, get over that anxiety point and and then you're pushing further and you're actually having a conversation with your body and the environment where the environment will eventually tell you, dude, you're done. You're done. And, and it takes practice. It takes practice to know that because it's not the very first time you do something hard, you, you're still going to be listening to your inside um, voices. You're not going to be listening to the outside. And it's an iterative process that happens over time. Otherwise, you run into damage, right? You run, you run the risk of, in America, we love grit, right? We love the fact that you can fucking fight across that Sahara desert or up that mountain and your, your body will take the toll if you do that. But mm. damage is not my goal. My goal is flow. My flow, my, my ideas like we connect with the environment we use what's there and when the environment is done it will it will push you along a certain way and then and then there's places for grit but usually those places for grit are not anything you do with the word training associated with it right yeah. grit is not useful if it's just if the goal is not important yeah. to you um, because i don't want to damage myself for like i don't know um, you know, the, just like a, 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 lo a local bike ride around my, my house. I want to damage myself when it's like the only option was to damage myself. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, you know, then sure. I'll lose a toe. Uh, <laughs> I'll lose a toe if I have to lose a toe, but I, but my goal is never to lose a toe. Just like when we do the breath work, the goal is never, you know, I do, I, I lead a fair number of breath work trainings and, and what, one of the things you do in, in the Wim Hof breath work is you hyperventilate and then you hold your breath and you hyperventilate and you hold your breath and you try to hold your breath for a really long period of time. The goal when we have like five people doing it is not to see who can pass out last. Like that's, that would be a stupid goal. Yeah. And, and I try to make it very clear that, that we're just trying to get to that sensation of like, okay, I'm at my limit and then maybe push a little bit further, but, mm -hmm. but we're not aiming for, you know, the, the, the big dramatic, I turned purple and had a seizure uh, moment. Yes. And I think that some people in like the sort of fitness world, think that damage is the goal. And that's just dumb because I want to be able to do this until I'm in my seventies and eighties. I don't want to be able to do this until my mid forties and be like, well, I fucked up. Now I have to be <laughs> like in a wheelchair or just not having as much fun as I could over yeah. a long period of time. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's that fighter's mentality, right? Like, so I'm a boxer, I coach boxing and the amount of, uh, fighters that we get coming in they'll do the exact same thing they'll they will fall on their they'll go out on their shields you know mm -hmm. they'll they'll take that very last hit that will knock them out or and then they're you, you know they're gone for three three months they have to right. stop training because again they push past that in the training sure in a fight situation maybe it's a little different but mm -hmm. when you're just training and i think we have become such a society of push past your limits as much as you can all the time grind 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 and unfortunately, there's a lot of big influencers and social media has yeah. caused quite a big issue with this as well. And Walter, right. we'll talk to that. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I have to agree. I mean, a lot of times it's like, what can we do for our Instagram page? That's going mm -hmm. to be more uh, difficult. We're going to push ourselves that much harder. And how many yeah. injuries have occurred 
in, in the industry, this mm-hmm. fitness industry, because of people pushing themselves to lift that extra hundred pounds and then tearing a muscle. Right. Yeah. I mean, so and, I mean, and, and, and this is, uh, you know, you're, you're touching on a very large point, which is what getting external influence and like having, making your goals external to yourself. Right. So the, the there's two ways that I'll reference this one. Do I work out? Cause I want to have a six pack. Or do I want to have a six pack because that has helped me achieve something, right? Personally, I think six packs are dumb and there's no reason to, to, to try to get a six pack. I instantly don't have one. So maybe I'd change my, uh, <laughs> my, my tune if I had this like ripping six pack. But, you know, the, the thing is, is that I want to do things. I want to climb mountains. I want to go on long bike rides. I want to like go on rafting trips. I want to do these things. And I want the body that will allow me to do that. And it does not have to look like it's the cover of a fitness magazine. In fact, a lot of the people on the covers of the fitness magazines are extremely limited in the range of, uh, of things that they can do, but they can do one thing like way better than me, but I might be able to do 10 things better than them. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, it's not a competition, obviously, like, there's no point to compete between those two things. But I think it's really, really important to, to say, look, I want to be a generalist. I want to have a good life. And that is uh, essentially the goal. And the other thing that you raised was like the social media influencers. And this is even more toxic. It's like, why do we care about likes? Why do we care about followers? Why do we care about any of that stuff from these random strangers who um, who interact with you? Like, it's it's like sort of like a collective psychosis that we have in the world that was told to us by media conglomerates that that shit matters and it doesn't fucking matter. Like I have, I don't know, 8,000 or some number of, 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 uh, people who follow me on, on Instagram and I can get myself looking. It's like, Oh, I posted something. And like, I, I lost like five people cause they didn't like what I said. And, and like, I find myself caring about that but these are strangers who who are irrelevant to my life and 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 those metrics are are really really sad and it's it's a really really good idea if you have a big instagram following or or even a non big instagram following is to put that fucking phone away and delete instagram for a little bit even just for a week or two and just take a social media cleanse to be like what really matters and what really matters is connecting with other humans and having conversations and back and forth versus just assuming what someone thinks and jumping on it. And then thinking that, 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 that feedback that comes in the forms of comments and likes and interactions, whatever metrics you're at matters at all to who you are. Uh, I've met some of the most enlightened and wonderful and beautiful people that I know uh, don't even have that stuff. It doesn't even matter. Yeah. It's that anxiety that's revolved around it too. I mean, both Walter and I, I'm sure maybe at some point, maybe I'm wrong, uh, but for us, especially as trainers, we, we, we see what's going on on the, the fitness side of Instagram or TikTok or whatever it is. And we feel we have to copy that to yeah. get that audience to listen to us because even though what we are posting about, maybe just again, lifting more weight than we should be lifting, or maybe posting a funny video that is completely irrelevant to what we're actually trying to get across as our main point. And it got to the point where we both just decided, you know what, screw this. We're going to post what we want to post about. If we end up losing a couple followers here or there, who gives a shit? If we end up pissing somebody off, that's on them. I can't control their emotions. And the problem still comes though. And a lot of our listeners still uh, deal with this uh, is the anxiety that just revolves around. It's uncomfortable to kind of go against the grain, or maybe it's uncomfortable Mm -hmm. to, Again, as you said, that fear, again, we, yeah. it's. And, 
and they won't reward you for bucking their trends. Like I'm going to tell you, like, if you just write whatever you want and say whatever you want, the, the algorithm's not going to come in and be like, oh, great. You sent stood up for what you liked and what you really meant. And then we're going to give you more influence. No, that's, that's who gives a fuck. You lost all your followers. You're still you. And, and, and like, why don't you try meeting people in person? Why don't you try to go into a gym or like something like a church or something like a place where people get together and do things and have a real fucking conversation with other humans? Um, I grew up in the 90s, you know, born 1978, but like really like my consciousness comes online in the 90s. And uh, we didn't even have cell phones, right? We would hang around, you'd, you'd, you'd be bored, you'd, you'd, you'd talk with other people, and you'd have have stories and like, it wasn't always excitement. It was just sometimes like, oh, cool. We're going to hang out. We're going to try to develop a real relationship. And we have fucking lost that. We are, And we are so hypnotized by this, um, uh, the, the, you know, I want to say algorithms, but we're, we're, we're hypnotized by this, this belief that social media matters and it's making us frankly insane. Uh, and so if you lose some followers or whatever, lose more your goal is to lose more followers i i this is going to sound very weird but i have to thank the hackers who took my instagram away about three weeks mm -hmm. ago i lost everything and i've started again yay but i no longer have this oh i must produce i must produce i must right. produce mentality mm -hmm. to keep those people who i don't even know happy so yeah. thank you hackers um <laughs> you know it, it has been a godsend to to lose instagram for a while yeah. We can't be bored anymore. We're not allowed to be bored. And that's what's going on. You have YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, TV, Netflix, all these services that the whole point is you are not supposed to be bored anymore. You're supposed to be constantly consuming. And again, with the social media, you get your, I'll use him as an example, because he's that great go hard all the time type of guy, that David Goggins of, yep. you mm -hmm. know, and it's, that's the level if you're in fitness, you got to live up to that. If you are in yeah. makeup, you got to live up to like the James Charles, Kylie Jenner's, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And it's, that is the new level. And so many people, if they can't reach that, they just end up failing or just giving up because right. there's, what's the point? I can't be them. That's the standard. Yeah. I can't, there be them, can so. only be one David Goggins and you yeah. ain't him. Like <laughs> all you can do is like worship at his feet, which seems really weird. Cause honestly, when I listen to David Goggins, I'm like, you are a damaged man. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think, I think you have some, that's why he's achieved. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, it's funny. I I've switched mostly to YouTube now and I mostly just put up YouTube videos. Um, just because I can yammer for like 20 minutes and I'll say what I think and I'll just put it out there and be like, I'm done. Like, cool. There it is. There's not really much social interaction or banter. I mean, there's some comments, but no one replies and has threads and stuff. And I find it much better to be like, here's my idea. I'm going to spend some time on it. I'm not going to do a flashy dance and put sparkles on the things to so, so the first second you love me. Um, uh, I'll say my, my what I have to say, and then I'm going to go away. Mm -hmm. And I found that if I'm going to put my efforts into something, I'm going to put my efforts into there. Uh, maybe I will then later hate this idea and be, be like, oh, I'm going to become a monk on a mountain. Um, but, you know, that's the next iteration, maybe. <laughs> that's the next book, right? <laughs> well, at least you're, you're back on a mountain again. Yeah, right. See, can't, can't go wrong. I yeah. win every time. There you go. <laughs> when it comes to... So uh, to kind of backtrack again, just because uh, one of the big things our listeners uh, do follow us for is 
breaking that barrier of being uncomfortable. And um, mm-hmm. again, you've already touched on this, but when it does come to that point of getting just even into that mindset, you did mention again, you just have to understand there's that fear and the anxiety. It's self-imposed. You know, we create it, yes. we can destroy it. What do you have to say to somebody who, again, maybe they're stepping into the ring for the first time, that they're stepping into a marathon for the first time. What is your process of understanding and kind of breaking that? Because again, it does take tons of practice, you know, for myself, you don't step into a ring the first time you don't get comfortable until, you know, five, six, seven times in there. Same with the marathon. Mm-hmm. You, you kind of go into it with, I've never ran this far before. Mm-hmm. What did you have to do to kind of build up and practice that mindset to get to that point? I love that you've brought up both marathons and in the ring fighting things that I have like basically zero experience with since I don't <laughs> run marathons and I don't MMA. That's, a, that's our thing. So, <laughs> you know, it, 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 it works for other things too. I was thinking as Matthew was saying, you know, I remember I used to be an actor. I remember the first couple of times I stepped on stage when I was so terrified of how I was going to fall on my face and, and everyone would laugh at me and do I, is my costume on, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. Um, or the first time you, play the piano in front of mm-hmm. someone there's always going to be that fear and it's not just physical yes things that do it we create these barriers for ourselves for every new thing i think the most important thing to think about in the in these you know in anything that's hard right anything you've put yourself into what you're actually worried about is failure right mm-hmm. you're actually worrying about the worst thing that could possibly happen to you because that's where your brain goes first and uh, and I've had lots of experiences of failure. I think failure is actually one of the most important things that anyone can do. And, you know, if you're getting into a ring, the first thing I would think of is like, well, I could get knocked out mm-hmm. and it could happen. And what's the worst that's going to happen? Well, there are some actually, you know, brain hemorrhage things, but those are sort of the outlier. Hopefully those are the outliers. Hopefully you're not in the yeah. sort of fight where that's going to happen. Right. Yeah. Um, and hopefully you've made these, these, you've had some thoughts about this in advance. Right. But likely you're going to get there. You're going to get bloodied. You're going to, you know, you're going to fall down. And this dude who is maybe a better fighter than you, or maybe just got some lucky hits beat you. And, and if you go in there with that mindset that that could happen, and then you let go and say, if that's the worst that can happen, then I can do my best having accepted that. And, you know, they're going through the same mental challenges as well. And, you know, it's interesting. I had this experience about four days ago where I was in a, I was paddling on a river in in the middle of the, um, the Idaho wilderness. I was like a hundred miles from any other wilderness with like a sort of a little rafting team. And I went over this rapid that I had just, I sort of like over, I was overconfident in my own abilities. I was like, I got this. I can do whatever I want in the water because I'm good at water. And I hit a rapid. I got knocked off my, my um, paddle thing. What, what is it? It's a, it's like an inflatable kayak mm-hmm. knocked off of that. And I looked backwards and I saw it getting tumbled in the rapids behind me. Cause I, uh, it was sort of caught in that eddy. I was like, Oh, that's bad. And I'm in the water. And I'm like, but I'll be fine. I was dunked or under, I got wet, whatever. Then I didn't notice this, but I was facing backwards and behind me was a big, big rock, like a, like a a huge rock. And the water was smoothly going over to over it. And behind it was a whirlpool. And I got sucked into this whirlpool. This, I haven't told anybody this actually. So first for people who get to hear this, I was sucked into the whirlpool, dunked underwater. And I was thinking to myself, huh, I'd rather be breathing right now. (laughs) 
<laughs> and and I was under, it was, it was like a washing machine and I was being caught in that eddy. Meanwhile, the other rafts were all going downstream because the water's still moving. I'm being stuck in one spot. So I don't have any crew around me. You know, no one's gonna be rescuing me right here. And I, and, 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 I, and I come up, I sort of swim up, I get a little gulp of air. I'm like, okay, any second now it's gonna spit me out into the river and I'll be fine. Uh, that's just what rivers do. And I get dunked down again. And I'm like, huh. And I'm sitting there and I'm not freaking out at all. Like I'm used to the cold, water was cold. Um, and, I, and I just generally don't freak out because I think that, you know, I'm going to relax. Mm -hmm. And, but I was like, also, it's not cool to be here still. <laughs> I came up again and I'm like, huh, I'm still here. And I had this sensation of that I was next to like a rock and, 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 and I don't know how, because my eyes were closed and there's white water all around me, but I know this rock is green and it had black flecks in it. It was perfectly smooth. <laughs> <laughs> I just knew this about this rock. And, and I went down again and I'm like, huh, okay, I've got to do something. Right. I've something is wrong and I got to do something. I don't know what it is, but I'm totally chill, but really would like to have like more regular access to air. And I put my hands on this rock and I feel it. I'm like, OK, go away. And I push against it. And now I'm not stronger than the, the Salmon River. Like there's millions of pounds of water behind me. But I think that that push, that little bit of grit that I exposed at that point, pushed me off just enough that more water got underneath me and that flow pushed me out. And I'm sort of outside and, uh, and eventually, you know, I look around, there's another rapid coming up. I can see it. I'm like, oh, I don't really want to do this again. I, I just did this. <laughs> And, and then I saw a guy who was the river guide who was amazing. His name was Eli uh, and, and Boundary Expeditions. This is the name of the, the group. So look for Boundary Expeditions in Idaho. Eli will save your life. Eli was like bounding across the rocks, like this golden haired Adonis. And he throws me a rope. And I'm like, cool, I would really like a rope right now. <laughs> Grab the rope. And he pulls me to safety and everything happens. It's fine. In that whole time, I never panicked because I felt that there was more story to be told by Scott. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that that not panicking is really, really important. And it, it, it resounds with what Laird Hamilton, the big wave surfer once told me is that when you're being tumbled by a wave and this wave could be a metaphor for anything, right? Anything stressful, anything difficult, the fight, whatever, the thing that is out of control and has got control of you. When you're being tumbled by that wave, nature has you and there is nothing that you can do. So, in that situation, you just relax and go with it and envision what failure might look like. Um, and, and then at some point, nature will give you an opportunity. There will be a moment where you have some agency, where, you, where some action you can take is meaningful. And that is when you use all of your grit, all of your strength, all, whatever you can use, you use it then. Uh, because if, when you don't have an opportunity, it's just a waste. Mm -hmm. and, and that gives you the overall resilience. And for me, that grit was even just not even the, the it wasn't like a, like a karate move on that rock. I just pushed that rock, but that was enough to free me. And that's what Laird does every time he gets tumbled by a big wave as well, is that we have this opportunity to know when you should relax and when you should push off. And the very worst thing that could have happened to me is I would have died, which, you know, would suck. But, it, you know, honestly, it wouldn't be the end of the world. I've had a pretty good life. I would have been more sad about the people who were watching me die yeah. um, because for them, this was a really traumatic experience, right? For them, they were like, oh my God, I'm so helpless. I can't do anything. I want to save this person. Totally irrational. My wife was there. She was not happy. And, 
but for me in that moment, I was like, I can do what I can do when I can do it. I can breathe when I'm above, I can hold my breath underneath. That's what I have control over. That's all I have control over. I'm going to wait for that moment where I can actually get out. And for anyone who ha- is being currently tumbled by a river and listening to this podcast um, in this particular moment, the actual thing you should do is not wait for the rock, but you should actually curl up into a ball and let the river um, push you out. I learned that afterwards, but now, you know, <laughs> would have been nice to know before, but you know, Live and learn. Mm-hmm. Good. When does, so one of the last questions uh, that I have for you based on that is when do you know when, uh, again, let nature take its course? There gets to a point where maybe sometimes you get too comfortable doing the same thing. Now yeah. that could be anything from you get home every day and you watch TV and mm-hmm. you're just comfortable living that lifestyle. And you tell yourself, you know what? I don't need all this extra outside you know, motivation or, uh, this outside, um, uh, stimulus. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you don't need that outside stimulus. I can just be content sitting on this couch, watching TV every day, because that's what I'm used to. I can just Mm -hmm. die happy here and I can let myself, this is, this is life. When does it become a point where you do have to snap out of things and realize, Oh, this is real danger. Or again, whether it be white rafting Mm -hmm. or maybe, Hey, this is really dangerous to just sit all the time and in 20 years I'll wake up and I'll realize I wasted my life. Well, we're all gonna die. Uh, And I think this is an important thing to keep in mind is that, and you get to be the pilot of your own life. That is um, one of the the wonderful things about being human. And if you truly inhabit the idea that you wanna be a diabetic who watches Netflix better than anyone else, go for it. Like it's not, who's, who am I to say you shouldn't do that? And who are you to say that they shouldn't do that? And, and that is absolutely a life path that is available to every single person on the, in, you know, in America, at least in Canada, at least. And, and, uh, and there's nothing wrong with it. Totally fine. However, I will say that the more comfortable you are, the less range you have for the experiences that you can have in your life. And, and what the way I like to think of it is the more you do, the more that you can do. And because we have this limited amount of time in life, my belief is that, and because we know we're gonna die and we don't know what happens after you die, right? Maybe there's heaven, maybe there's hell, maybe there's like reincarnation, maybe, who knows? Maybe there's a void, maybe there's nothing, right? Because of that ultimate reality, which is definitely coming and the unknown which occurs afterwards, I believe we all have an obligation to push ourselves and take risks right? Because we have a finite amount of time on earth, we should get the most out of this limited amount of time, which means having more experiences, which means getting more range, getting more stories, getting more things um, that are experiences, not money. Money's sort of dumb. Now, sure, get some money, get enough money to be comfortable, but don't make money the driving force. It should be experiences and range, which are the the driving force, because that's what makes us bigger and more resilient and incidentally healthier too. Cause the more, mm. the more you sit on that couch, the less that you do, the more anxiety, the more the idea of doing things that are outside your range makes you anxious, mm. which, which is probably bad for your insides. Um, I don't think that, that, that just protecting yourself um, is good because you're still going to die. Like you're, you're going to yeah, that Netflix diabetic is going to be just as dead as me a hundred years from now right? We're mm-hmm. both going to be equally dead. And, and, and I think that, that 
as if you're able to do new things to challenge yourself, I think that is for me a better life plan. Um, you can make your own decisions about that, and that's fine. Like we don't want to die early; we want to die young as late as possible. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> Any more questions there, sir? No, I'm I'm filled <laughs> so yeah. much stuff, man. Um, uh, and, and a lot that I agree with, uh, definitely, um, we choose the quality of our life. Mm -hmm. We judge the quality of our life. And, and mm -hmm. I think that, you know, particularly in a world with, uh, social media where everybody's mm -hmm. judging everybody and everybody's saying, no, that's what you should do. That's what you should do. Um, the decision as to what my life will be becomes more difficult, mm -hmm. but ultimately I have to make those decisions every day to get up and do that other thing, to do that other, other thing, to continue uh, along or to change everything in midstream. I, I think that due to the last couple of years of, of pandemic, we've all been given a bit of a chance to look at our lives differently. Yeah. And there are some people who are rushing back to try and recreate the past and others who are going, no, this other thing has happened. Now, mm -hmm. where do I go? Mm -hmm. um, and both are viable choices. Um, yeah, and the beauty of being alive is that you have choices, right? That we, exactly. that, and and everyone has different choices that are offered to them, right? Now we don't all start off with the same baseline choices, right? But we all are offered choices, and those choices define who we are as people. And one of the things that I write about in my book, The Wedge, which is sort of the sequel to What Doesn't Kill Us, is that those choices change your nervous system, right? When I'm in ice water, my choice is to go to fight or flight or rest and digest. I don't. There's no third nervous system, right? You got those two branches. And if the nervous system is saying fight or flight, fight or flight, fight or flight, and I say no, rest and digest, and I can just think it, I can just think my way into rest and digest, that changes the way my body exists in that stressful environment. It's, it, it changes, and, and every sensation that you ever feel in your life, whether it is a physical sensation or an emotional sensation, those are all choices. And the only reason that evolution gave us sensations is to exercise consciousness against those sensations. Like sometimes you want it, like I'm on fire. I want to put out the fire. That's a great sensation to go with. Put out that fire. Your nervous system was correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, go for it, nervous system. Thanks for the correct information. But in, in many other stimuli, um, it is that choice that you should exercise and decide what is actually how you should perceive the world. And that is the, it's like, that's like either a really simple idea that it should just be obvious, uh, or that is like Buddha level enlightenment. I don't, I'm not yeah. sure which, um, and in some ways that's okay. Yeah. And the answer is yes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there you go. So Great. we always like to finish off our podcast by asking our guests, take 30 seconds to a minute if you need to think about it, but just say very quick, if you had to give one piece of advice on top of the mounds that you already have, uh, if you had to give one piece of advice to leave our listeners with, what would that be? It could be related to anything. It doesn't have to be fitness, health, anything like that. You don't always have to make a decision right now. You can sometimes take a few breaths. You can sometimes take a few seconds. In just about every situation, you don't have to immediately react. You can decide. And I think that is the, again, this is the Buddha level advice is that, you know, if there, there are maybe a few situations where if you don't, you know, quickly, quickly react, 
in, in milliseconds uh, that bad things will happen. But in most circumstances, even when I was being tumbled by this wave and held underwater for like between 45 seconds and a minute, being, I had time to think, right? And, and those decisions may have saved my life. And I think that, that realizing that even in the midst of tragedy and, and, and you know, the worst case scenarios, there's always time to exercise a little bit of consciousness. And, and, uh, and we should do that. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Thank you, sir. Um, so as always, uh, we will leave Scott's information in the bio below. You can check out his uh, Instagram handle right there and his YouTube right there. Um, Scott, is there anywhere uh, or anything that you would like to promote? I mean, your books are all right behind you. So definitely go check those yeah. out as well. Yeah, read all my books and fund my crypto account or whatever <laughs> bullshit people are supposed to say. Uh, no, I mean, like, says. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I got, I got a great Ponzi scheme getting on early. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Google. I'm on all the places and I'd love you to, you know, come with me for my journey. Uh, YouTube is where I'm putting my effort in now. So that's cool. Okay. I have yeah. a mailing list. You can you find go, it guys. all scottcarney.com. It's great. There we go. It's in the bio guys. So definitely check that out. And uh, thank you so much, sir. This was honestly a lot to digest in this hour. I'm sure even myself and Walter will probably go back and listen to this more than once, but uh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, As always guys, stay safe, stay. uh, Easy. easy. (laughs) I was going to take your line. There you go. Thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you next time.